everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto seven years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the July 15th, 2022 episode of Unchained. Harness the full power of the Avalanche Network with Core, your new Web3 command center. Built by Ava Labs, Core is more than just a wallet. It's a non-custodial browser extension engineered for users to seamlessly and securely experience Web3 like never before. Explore Avalanche dApps, NFTs, bridges, subnets, and more today. Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA, link in the description. Today's guest is Wasi Lawyer, a lawyer specializing in restructuring and insolvency. Welcome, Wasi Lawyer. Hello, hi, Laura. Very happy to be here. So the crypto space is now seeing three big bankruptcy cases that are all happening simultaneously, three Eros Capital, Voyager, and now Celsius. Before we dive into the details on these cases, Wasi Lawyer, since you are an Anon, can you give us a short description of your professional background and how it is that you came to have expertise in these types of cases? Yeah, sure, Laura. Happy to sort of explain a bit more. So I'm an English-trained lawyer um, working at a sort of London-based law firm, and I've sort of spent uh, most of my career working on distressed companies, uh, restructuring and insolvency matters, mostly restructuring less than full-on insolvencies. As you noted, I'm also an Anon, so um, online by night, I lap as a penguin in a suit, building an NFT project. But in terms of professional background, I've worked on quite a number of sort of multi-billion dollar restructuring matters now. Non-crypto related so far. All right. So let us start with Three Arrows Capital. As recently as March, the crypto hedge fund and proprietary trading firm, which was run by classmates and friends Sue Zhu and Kyle Davies, managed about $10 billion in assets. Uh, at its peak, its AUM was $18 billion, And at the moment, it is in bankruptcy. Because of how many major entities in crypto it borrowed from, this will have ripple effects out onto the whole industry and already has. The story begins with a liquidation process ordered by a British Virgin Islands court back on June 29th. Let's just start by explaining what liquidation is and what, in this case, the liquidators are going to be doing. Yep. Okay. So sort of starting off with the liquidation process that sort of kicked off the BVI, actually, I think it may be sensible to sort of start right before the liquidation process. So in order for a company to go into liquidation, it means that it's solvent and someone has to kickstart an application to have the company wound up or put it to liquidation. So when we look at what the liquidation order that's now public, uh, that the BVI court has sort of uh, handed down, what's happened is you've got Deribit as the creditors of Trieros Capital applying for provisional liquidation order. And at the same time, Trieros Capital themselves, Carl Davis, 
apply for a liquidation order from the PPI court. So normally, one thing that was actually fairly surprising to some of these insolvency practitioners in the space, because you don't normally have a company going to liquidation quickly, and certainly not one with you know $10 billion in assets. Normally what happens is for creditors, they start putting down the demands, they put in what is known as a winding up petition, they put in what is known as provisional liquidation application, which is what Deribit put in. And the purpose of that is to sort of make sure that the assets aren't dissipated while everyone figures what the hell is going on in there. Now, it seems that Sue and Cal, the founders of 3AC, weren't keen to contest the liquidation thing at all, and they were sort of happy to say, let's liquidate this company entirely. It's surprising because one would have expected there to be some sort of bailout, some sort of discussion for a restructuring deal, but there wasn't any such thing in this case, which is full-on liquidation. So what does a liquidation mean? So sort of like I referred to earlier, when a company is bankrupt, this means the end of it, because you can structure it, you can save it, someone's coming to buy the assets, you can figure out some sort of new financing. But that's not the case with 3AC. At the end of the liquidation, 3AC Capital is going to cease to exist as a company. And in this case, a professional third party, the global advisory firm Teneo, have been appointed as liquidators. Important to note that Teneo has been appointed by the creditors of 3Arrows, and not the founders. The founders themselves put forward their own uh, nominee as uh, uh, their own nominee for a liquidator, and what the court did eventually was they went with the creditor's choice, which is a smart one, which would make all the creditors feel a lot more comfy, because you want a liquidator that you know that's aligned with the creditors rather than one that's sort of appointed by the company, especially in situations such as this. So, what's the liquidator doing now? Liquidators are coming in to the to to, to three hours capital. They're going to assess what assets are available, how much are owed to the creditors. And then the next steps, they'll probably start holding a they'll call a creditors meeting and sort of provide an update on what exactly is going on, the sort of status of the company, the initial findings, etc. And after that, their responsibility is to simply liquidate the assets in three hours capital, wind down the company, and pay out the proceeds in accordance with the, with the insolvency priority of payments. And so... What will be the priority of which creditors will be paid first? Or is it that everybody is going to get kind of like the same percentage of the assets? That's a really good question, Laura. So this normally is, you know, what they call sort of liquidation waterfall, priority of payments. And assuming we're all unsecured creditors of Three Arrows Capital and all they have are unsecured creditors, then yes, we would basically recover pro rata or what is known as pari pursuit. So if three hours capital has a million dollars in there and they owe us a million dollars each, we each recover five hundred thousand dollars. But what happens is that pretty much every jurisdiction in the world, your statute that comes in, uh, statutory regulations sort of come in to modify that. So you would normally have your insolvency practitioners, let's say Teneo, they would be paid out first. <laughs> Good for them. The lawyer, the lawyers would be paid out first. Certain employees would be paid out first. It's normally a sort of protected class there tax liabilities will be paid out first and then from there you have potentially secured creditors secured creditors will be paid out ahead of the unsecured creditors out of the collateral that is secured but apart from that creditors in the same class would share recoveries pro rata and then so i'm sorry so that would mean that companies like voyager and genesis where would they rank (laughs) Unfortunately, it appears that Voyager is unsecured creditor against Trials Capital, so they will share with all of the unsecured creditors of Trials Capital. Unfortunately, not very high up, 
and I wouldn't expect them to to be recovering that much, to be honest. Okay. So do you have any sense at the moment what, for for those who are unsecured, what amount it is that they might be able to expect or what percentage of the assets that they had loaned that they no. might expect? We, oh. we, can't, we can't say that because we don't know how much assets are in Trias Capital. We don't know the value of those assets. And that's actually, a, you know, that's a point we're going to need more clarity from from liquidators because if I may, I'm happy to sort of chat about the sort of assets that might be in Trios Capital. So the easiest bits, right? If it, it, uh, cash in a bank account, right, that's that's simple. And if you've got liquid crypto assets, let's say you've got Bitcoin, you've got ETH, you've got Solana, stuff you can sell. And the DVI court order specifically gave the liquidators the power to sell these crypto assets into US dollars. USDT and uh, USDC, they would also have, and this is the interesting bit, they would also have a lot of illiquid assets. For instance, you would expect them to have a large, large amount of Luna 2. They would likely have a lot of lock tokens. They would likely have a lot of equity in private companies, which they cannot easily sell. They would also probably have NFTs, uh, and this whole Serenite capital thing is, uh, is a whole discussion into itself. Serenite being a sub-fund of Treehouse Capital. And, and finally, there's also the contract rights, and that's kind of what Sue came out to tweet about, right? He's disappeared for a bit, and they showed up to accuse the creators of breaching the duties because they didn't exercise certain certain uh, warrants for stockware tokens. So this is sort of assets that are in there right now, and it's not easy to value all of them at this moment. And I'd be very interested to see how a liquidator does that. And just out of curiosity, so is was Sue correct in saying that they had breached their fiduciary duty by not exercising those warrants? Probably not. So it's incredibly difficult for a creditor or, or, or and especially a creditor as a founder in this case of the company to look at it as generally just unfound liable as long as they're acting reasonably in good faith. And we have to know that what's the role of the liquidator here. The role of the liquidator is to preserve the assets of the company and maximize value for the creditors as a whole. And well, yes, in this case, Sue is a creditor. So you may ask, all right, so why don't they maximize value by exercising the stockware tokens? I think there's sort of two points to make here. One, uh, Deneo probably aren't crypto native and they've only just come into the company. So for them to sort of make a call as to whether this is a good investment, it's it, it, it may be also the ambit and they may just say, we don't want to give up cash. Which, is, which can be distributed to creditors in exchange for these tokens, which may be locked. They may not be as liquid as we want them to be. So that's probably the, the, the first piece. And the second piece is, well, you're a liquidator. Your job is to liquidate the company. It's not to make more investments. It's not to, you know, it's not to keep running the business. Tenero isn't here to keep running Trials Capital. It's here to just sell stuff, get rid of stuff, liquidate it into assets that can be distributed to um, creditors. Wow, it's incredibly fascinating. So in a moment, we're going to talk about some of the other developments, uh, both with 3AC, as well as, of course, with Celsius and even Voyager. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. 
Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code Laura. Link in the description. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Is your Web3 experience hindered by inadequate crypto wallets and browser extensions? Ava Labs has created Core, a free, non-custodial browser extension engineered for Avalanche users to have a more seamless and secure Web3 experience. The best-in-class Avalanche Bridge now offers native support for the Bitcoin network. Put your Bitcoin to work in the robust DeFi ecosystem by bridging BTC to Avalanche today. With Core, you can also easily swap assets, display your NFTs in style, store your assets in a Ledger-enabled wallet, and put real dollars into your crypto wallet in just a few clicks. Core is everything you need for a simple, secure, and convenient Web3 experience. Download the free Core browser extension from Google Chrome's App Store today. Back to my conversation with Wasi Lawyer. So subsequently, 3AC filed for Chapter 15 bankruptcy. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So Chapter 15 is actually a recognition of procedure in the U.S. So when when there were rumors swirling around 3AC going down, there was some discussion among sort of um, colleagues, um, other insolvency professionals around where 3AC where 3AC might go into an insolvency pr- procedure. The obvious choices were a BVI because they were incorporated in BVI. B, Singapore, because the headquarters and their operations are substantially out of Singapore, and C, in the U.S. via perhaps Chapter 11, because, first of all, the U.S. claims a very wide jurisdiction, and secondly, they, I think I saw some documents where, or claims on Twitter that they have a fair bit of dealings with U.S. counterparties. What happened eventually is they went to BVI. The company and the creditors went to BVI. Now, you've got a BVI order, and this needs a BVI liquidation order, and this needs to be recognized around the world. So that's what the Chapter 15 procedure broadly was, which is they're taking this BVI court order and saying to, to the US, look, I, I've, I've done this in the, in, in the BVI, now I need to recognize the fact that this country company is in liquidation, and the liquidators are now in control. And the reason this recognition is because that's how you that's how you exercise the liquidators' powers in the U.S. against U.S. assets. Because what happens in liquidation is Sue and Carl are out of the picture. They are still directors of the company, but they have been disenfranchised. And the liquidator steps in. And the liquidator acts. Basically wields all the power that Sue and Carl used to, used to wield. So I would expect um, almost exa- a, a similar procedure to happen in Singapore, given the fact that operations are in Singapore, the bank accounts are presumably in Singapore, 
I expected uh, a recognition sort of a uh, sort of recognition procedure to be followed in Singapore sooner or later. Okay, so basically, sounds like that was a positive development for creditors. Yes. Like it. Oh, okay. So something is that even as we record, the whereabouts of Ju and Davies have remained unknown. Although it was revealed that they did leave Singapore, does that mean anything for the bankruptcy and liquidation process? It's a really good question, and it's one that I've been asked a lot by my friends in the crypto space because you can talk forever about what a law is, but at the end of the day, you kind of have to think about the practical repercussions and everything, right? So, I guess it affects things on a few levels. I think, firstly, how does it affect the role of the liquidator? First of all, not much. They're still they're in charge now, so they can do whatever they want. They can deal with the assets of the company. They can seek recognition orders. They can pay out creditors. They can pay out employees. Etc. So the liquidator sort of is pretty happy. Doesn't matter what where, where Sue and Cal are. But practically, you'd say, wait a minute, Sue and Cal are holding on to all of these private keys. Some of these, you know, assets may be off exchange wallets. They may have private wallets, cold wallets. What do we do now? And this is a difficult question. It, it, it really is because what you could do if they were in the jurisdiction that you are comfortable with, let's say they were in the U.S. or they were in BVI or they were in Singapore. You go ahead and you seek a court order in one of those jurisdictions that say, Sue and Cal, you guys interact as a company, please hand over all the keys to the liquidators. And if they don't, they get found in contact with court and there's, tra- there's this actual criminally, there's actual jail time being threatened here. And you would think that they would probably, you know, comply and run away from jail. If they run away, that's, that makes things, things a, a lot more difficult because you have no idea where they are. And you start going after them in the and the jurisdiction of choice, maybe they just move countries. So that is difficult. I suspect that they will end up cooperating. And this is not so much this is more maybe perhaps anecdotal, because they're fairly young guys. They don't want to straight up become fugitives. And what is likely to happen is uh, in my opinion, what may happen is Taneo may just offer them some sort of deal, like here's a small amount of money for cooperating, because that's cheaper than bringing you to court or trying to enforce all of these things. Mm-hmm. You also have kids, so that's a, another fair point. That's another point to make. If you've got a kid, if you've got kids, you don't want them to be, you want money in a bank account that's clear. You don't want to be a fugitive. You don't want to have, be basically a paria in the banking system. Another question that I have about this whole situation is that Zhu tweeted, sadly, our good faith to cooperate with the liquidators was met with baiting. And he talked, he kind of had these screenshots of the letters that his lawyer sent to the liquidators. And I was wondering, were Zhu and his lawyer in the right or were the liquidators okay in having, you know, gotten, it was something like they got information from them and Zhu and his lawyer didn't realize that they were going to use it for something else. It was something like that. But I just wondered like, if you had any opinion on who was actually in the right. We didn't see the entire correspondence. We just saw a few snippets coming out of, 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 of Sue and his lawyers. My take on it is the liquidators are they're, they're fully in the right to request information from Sue. And in fact, that is what they should be doing. Because the, the liquidators have just come in. They've only been appointed about two weeks. And Tree Arrows Capital is a massive fund with a lot of, you know, contractual obligations that may be agreed on paper. Some of it is, you know, agreed orally via emails, via WhatsApp, text messages, et cetera, et cetera. 
And it, it certainly should be the case that they should be asking Sue for, for information. And, you know, ideally, he is cooperative. The directors definitely should be cooperating with the Koreans in situations like this. And then a New York bankruptcy court ordered the remaining assets of 3AC frozen. How might this affect the outcome? It's essentially just to stop Sue and Cal from dissipating the assets any further, um, if they have at all. So it's essentially just to protect the assets of the, of the, of the company. And so at this point, what would you say are the chances that any of 3AC's counterparties will get anything back? And why don't we focus on the unsecured creditors? Or, or I mean, you can go through all the categories, actually, because that actually is still interesting. I think the unsecured creditors are, are the big ones, because the secure ones are normally quite comfy, given the fact these loans are over collateralized. Some of them are on-chain, so, you know, you just sold off the assets and cut it out. You, you sort of liquidated the collateral and sort of got it out semi, uh, quite comfy. It's the, it's the unsecured creditors, and I think the big one in all this would be Voyager. And Voyager's account holders, we can touch on that later. So, I think this comes down to what assets are in there, what assets the liquidator is able to realize. I'm particularly interested in what they're going to do with the tokens they're still investing, because there's definitely a lot of money locked up in that. Are they going to auction it to someone? Are they going to sell it OTC to someone else? How does that play out? That's a question mark for me. And the other big question mark is, how about the monies that are owed to 3AC? Is 3AC accredited to anyone else who maybe hasn't paid up money now that they know that 3AC has sort of gone into insolvency? So it's also the role of the liquidator to investigate what claims can be made against potential trade counterparties, against potential persons that may have transacted with 3Arrow's capital in the past. It's also the response of liquidators to pursue claims against Sue and Carl themselves. Because one of the, and, and I checked this uh, 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 before this call, one of the key principles, doctrines in insolvency law is that of wrongful trading or reckless trading, depending on what uh, jurisdiction you're in. And it's essentially a principle which states that if a director knows or should have known that a company is insolvent or about to become insolvent, and they continue trading anyway, that director could become personally liable and be asked to contribute funds into uh, the pool for creditors sharing. And the reason for this, obviously, is to stop directors that are deeply underwater from simply making very, very high-risk leverage bets to try and trade out of the hole. And it almost seems like exactly what Three Arrows Capital did. Right, right. And didn't work out super well. No, it didn't work out super well. <laughs> So would you say that creditors will probably get nothing or what's your, if you were to make it? They, they, they absolutely would. They would get something. The question is what they're getting. And I think, I think this, I think this is probably going to be a creditors meeting soon enough. And the moment creditors attend the meeting and the liquidators provide an update, stuff is likely going to leak and we'll probably have a better picture of what assets three arrows capital have and what sort of claims the liquidators are pursuing. Because the liquidators are almost always making a call. They're always making a cost-benefit analysis now. Like, if I sue Carl, is my chances of recovery higher than, you know, simply not suing him? It's all about maximizing the, 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 the value of acting in good faith, you know, acting reasonably, et cetera. Okay, so let's switch gears just for the last question. Obviously, this week we also saw that Celsius filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, what is your take on kind of what this step means in particular for Celsius account holders? So 
Chapter 11 is incredibly different from a liquidation proceeding. Chapter 11 is a bankruptcy proceeding in the US. And what it's intended to do is for Celsius to sort of reorganize its debts, reorganize its liabilities so that it will emerge as a company going forward. So we have this, so, so it's the same as Voyager. So Voyager and Celsius at the end of the insolvency procedures will remain as companies, whereas Three Arrows Capital will not because it's being liquidated. So now on to Celsius and what it means for account holders. So firstly, I have to say up front, I don't know because we don't have as much details on Celsius yet as we do on Voyager. Voyager has a very detailed chapter on filing. They have a plan of reorganization that I'm happy to discuss sort of briefly. Whereas with Celsius, what I've said is we're filing for chapter 11 bankruptcy now. So sort of watch the space. Yeah, and I should note that for various reasons, we are recording this on Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So there, who knows if there will be more information that comes in the hours following the recording of this show. But at the moment, this is what we have. Absolutely. And I mean, so the chapter 11 documents have been filed. It shows information that's, I guess, it's not very helpful because you kind of tick box, it's kind of a tick box exercise for them to file the chapter in the filing. And they tick the box that says that we have one to $10 billion available in assets for distribution. And we have one to $10 billion in liabilities. You can see there's an incredibly large range. So you could have nine billion in liabilities, one billion in assets. Um, so we just don't know at this point. They've ticked the box which says that they have more than 100,000 creditors, so that's helpful. You know, we know that they have a ton of account holders. Um, maybe the interesting point here, which we can discuss in the absence of further information, is this custody point, which which has come up a fair bit recently. Like, Laura, you're sort of familiar with that. But you're talking about how for a centralized platform like Celsius, customers don't have custody over their assets? Sort of. So when you are someone who has deposited monies or assets into uh, something like Celsius, you ideally want there to be a custodian relationship when everything goes under. Because what happens, you know, if you recall, we discussed earlier that the unsecured creditors all share in the pool. If assets are being deemed to be held in custody, they are not shared in that pool. So you kind of get all of those assets back. It, it doesn't go to other creditors. You don't have to share it for other creditors. Uh, oh, if they're segregated, you mean? If they're segregated, exactly. So uh, the sort of bad news for people generally is that I think Celsius is quite explicit about the fact that as long as you've deposited money and you're earning interest on it, your funds aren't held in custody. They are not segregated in, in insolvency and you would prove as an unsecured creditor. I think the equivalent here is, let's say, your average bank depositor, right? If you if you deposited money into your average, into your local bank, you're actually an unsecured creditor of the bank. And the reason you're protected is because your statutory rights or, you know, insurances that protect you up to a certain amount. Okay. So basically, at the moment, it doesn't look so good for Celsius customers. It doesn't look so good for Celsius customers. Um, Celsius is sort of lawyered up with the same firm as Voyager, Cardinalis. I think we can maybe look at a Voyager fine to see what Celsius Celsius might look to do because I think at this point there is a certain opacity around what Celsius has done. We know that they have made some, you know, fairly high risk trades. They've sort of made some. They've, they've, they've put money into their GPTC, staked ETH, etc., and that didn't play out very well for them. But I think at this point, we're not 
very clear where the whole the balance sheet has come out of. Whereas I think in Voyager's case, we're not very, it's not very clear what where, where the, the, the shortfall has come from. Okay. All right. Well, then I guess we'll have to see as more news trickles in um, where we think this is headed. But anyway, this has been a, like an information-packed episode. I so appreciate that you came in on Unchained. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad I was helpful. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Is your Web3 experience hindered by inadequate crypto wallets and browser extensions? Ava Labs has created Core, a free, non-custodial browser extension engineered for Avalanche users to have a more seamless and secure Web3 experience. The best-in-class Avalanche Bridge now offers native support for the Bitcoin network. Put your Bitcoin to work in the robust DeFi ecosystem by bridging BTC to Avalanche today. With Core, you can also easily swap assets, display your NFTs in style, store your assets in a ledger-enabled wallet, and put real dollars into your crypto wallet in just a few clicks. Core is everything you need for a simple, secure, and convenient Web3 experience. Download the free Core browser extension from Google Chrome's App Store today. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. Celsius files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy reveals $1.2 billion deficit. In addition to Celsius filing for bankruptcy, later on Thursday, as more news trickled out, Bloomberg reported that Celsius's largest creditor, Pharos Capital, aka Lantern Ventures, actually seems to be connected to FTX founder and CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. Pharos Capital's chief executive officer, Tara McCauley, is a co-founder of Alameda Research and works at another organization with SBF. Three additional staff had also worked for SBF-linked organizations, though Alameda told Bloomberg the trading firm currently has no relationship with Lantern Ventures. Similarly, Celsius revealed that it had a $1.2 billion hole in its balance sheet. That includes an estimate that its holdings of the CEL token are worth $600 million. After the news of the bankruptcy filing, the CEL token was down more than 10%. However, some analysts told Coindesk they believed that this could be a fresh start for the company and that the token price may rebound as the bankruptcy process goes on. Celsius Mining, the BTC mining subsidiary of Celsius, also initiated voluntary Chapter 11 protection on Wednesday. This was not the only entity that joined its parent company seeking bankruptcy protection, as six other subsidiaries followed the same path. In March, Celsius Mining had submitted a draft registration statement with the U.S. SEC to become a publicly listed company. However, these plans will not be fulfilled due to these recent developments. The crypto lender also made other news this week. The firm has repaid in full its debt to DeFi protocols Maker, Compound, and Aave. After doing this, Celsius reclaimed hundreds of millions of dollars worth of collateral, especially in Bitcoin, Ether, and Steeth, the liquid staking derivative of Ether. On Tuesday, Celsius reclaimed 416,000 Steeth from Aave, worth more than $400 million, 
and the markets are fearing a massive sell-off of that collateral. As a consequence, the Steeth discount, which is the difference between the price of Steeth versus the price of ETH, widened to 4%. Inflation hits a 40-year high. The U.S. Consumer Price Index, or CPI, reached 9.1% in June, its highest number in more than 40 years. The increase in the prices of gas, food, and housing were the most significant contributors to this month's CPI. The Consumer Price Index measures the overall change in consumer prices over time based on a representative basket of goods and services. Persistent high inflation is not good for a country, especially if it's unintended. The Fed, which is responsible for controlling inflation, is now pressured to push further with higher interest rates, which is the only tool it has to achieve its goal of price stability. There's almost nothing in an economy that can escape this decision from the Fed, as the interest rate represents the price of money. For crypto, it would mean that there is less money for investments in new projects, less innovation, and a potential sell-off to purchase safer assets. The fear of a huge increase in the interest rate is already in. The market is already pricing in an 85% probability of a 100 bips increase, or plus 1%, in the Fed's rate in the next meeting, which will be on July 27th. The last time the Fed hiked 100 bips was in 1984, said macroeconomic researcher Jim Bianco. One of the main narratives around BTC is that it is supposed to serve as an inflation hedge because of its monetary policy. However, the inflation rate is at its highest in decades, and BTC has not been able to serve that purpose. Market has shown Bitcoin should be thought of as a monetary debasement hedge, not necessarily a hedge against CPI inflation, said Will Clemente, a Bitcoin analyst. OpenSea lays off 20% of its staff. Thursday afternoon, OpenSea announced it would be laying off 20% of its employees. This was communicated internally by OpenSea CEO Devin Finzer in the company Slack. We have entered an unprecedented combination of crypto winter and macroeconomic uncertainty, said Finzer. He added that OpenSea would now be in a position to resist up to five years of a crypto winter. OpenSea volumes are down to about $12 million worth a day, whereas this past winter, they were above $100 million daily. Coinbase loses market share to its competitors. Coinbase, the largest crypto exchange in the U.S. and the first to be publicly listed, is struggling amid market conditions. The crypto exchange continues to lose market share to its global competitors, according to research analyst Dan Dolev. Coinbase seems to be having troubles both in relative and absolute terms. In November 2021, it had a monthly trading volume of $7 billion, whereas the estimate for July puts it at roughly $1.2 billion a month. If we compare the same months, Coinbase had 5.3% of the global trading volume in November, and now it only accounts for 2.9%. Dolev targets Coin to be priced at $42. As of today, the stock is worth $53.42. Last month, Coinbase was downgraded by Goldman Sachs, which gave a recommendation to short the company with a price target of $45. VC funding for crypto is down 22%. According to a report from the Block Research, venture funding for blockchain-related projects suffered a 22% decline in the last quarter, going from $12.5 billion to $9.8 billion. This was the first time that the sector took a dive in VC funding since the second quarter of 2020. However, to put the drawback into context, crypto venture funding accounted for $629 million in Q2 of 2020. 
Even though this quarter's numbers were down against the previous quarters, they are still 15 times higher than only two years ago. The reason for this decline is most likely a combination of the macroeconomic environment, the possibility of interest rate hikes, and recession, and the state of the crypto market in general, with many companies going bankrupt and laying off employees. Something worth noting is that VC funding is a lagging indicator. This is because there might be a considerable time between when the deals are announced and when they are made public. It appears that smaller projects were the ones that suffered the most. The deals under $50 million accounted for 50% of the total amount invested during the first quarter, and they now account for only 44%. Voyager token soars amidst short squeeze. Since Tuesday, the token of distressed crypto company, Voyager, has experienced a massive spike in its price. BYG was trading at roughly 15 cents, reaching a high of 94 cents, which accounts for over a 500% increase. It is now settled at around 40 cents. It appears that a short squeeze was behind this massive appreciation. Pumping coins of insolvent businesses seems to be becoming a meta, CK Chung, investment analyst at Defiance Capital, told Coindesk. Similar pumps have happened to Terra's LUNC token and Luna's CEL token, mostly because of a short squeeze. CZ wanted to help, but received harsh criticism. On Monday, Binance CEO Changpeng Zhao tweeted that a potential exploit had been found on Uniswap. According to the wallet provided by CZ, a hacker was able to steal 7,574 ETH, which are worth nearly $8 million. Immediately after CZ's tweet, the Uni token fell by as much as 21%. However, Hayden Adams, CEO and founder of Uniswap, confirmed that this had nothing to do with the vulnerability of Uniswap's code. This was a phishing attack that resulted in some LP NFTs being taken from individuals who approved malicious transactions, he said. Chainlink God, a crypto influencer, said that CZ's tweet seems like an incredibly irresponsible thing to tweet, considering the fact that it was not an exploit. Binance was also in the news this week because... The platform experienced a massive spike in Bitcoin trading volumes after the implementation of the zero-fee policy went live last Friday. This provided the incentives to perform wash trading, a market manipulation strategy. For that reason, CZ said Binance would exclude BTC trading from VIP calculations in order to remove all incentives to wash trade. And according to Reuters, Binance continued to allow trading in Iran despite being banned by the U.S. government to operate in that country. Time for fun bits. Elon Musk tries to terminate the deal with Twitter, but he is laughing about it. Elon Musk decided to terminate the deal to purchase Twitter for $44 billion. In the letter signed by Musk's lawyer, it said that Twitter has not complied with its contractual obligations. This refers to Musk's contention that Twitter allegedly didn't disclose the number of bots that are part of its platform. Despite Musk's intentions, it doesn't look like he is going to have it easy. The Twitter board is committed to closing the transaction on the price and the terms agreed upon with Mr. Musk and plans to pursue legal action to enforce the merger agreement, said Twitter's board chair Brett Taylor. However, Musk took it quite lightly and posted this meme on Twitter, which reads, They said I couldn't buy Twitter, then they wouldn't disclose bot info. Now they want to force me to buy Twitter in court. Now they have to disclose bot info. All right, thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Wasi Lawyer and the bankruptcies of 3AC, Celsius, and Voyager, check the show notes for this episode. Earlier this week on The Chopping Block, Solana's founder Anatoly Yakovenko discussed the Saga phone plus responded to Andre Kronia's question, is Solana actually a blockchain? 
You can watch this show on YouTube or on any podcast platform. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Matt Pilchard, Juan Aronovich, Pamela Jimdar, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.